I'm Kim, and you're listening to a bonus track. When John and Chad and I recorded our conversation on the archive, John told us a story about apples that we loved very much, but we didn't have room for in the regular podcast, so we've included it here. Here's John to tell the tale. Uh, can I can I talk about apple trees? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. So, like, um... One of the things that was unexpected, and one of the things that's so wonderful about places where archives are located, I think. We talked about how um, there's this outside of an archive that gets policed, In a place of consignation. Yes. Um, so when what is being consigned starts to sort of erupt outwards... Um, Bailey's archives are held in the town where he lived most of his adult life, and I've been into his house, for example, in Ithaca, which is now used as undergraduate student apartments, because I've knocked on the door and undergrads have let me in and walk around and, you know, take pictures and things. (laughs) A different kind of policing. A different, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The boundary of the archive. I feel a little bit, like, (laughs) insurgent or something. You should tell them, Um, you are the guardians of the archive. (laughs) (laughs) Protect it! (laughs) Um, And that that experience led to a bunch of surprising finds and things and a different sense of sort of this person's life. I became very interested this summer in a farm which Bailey kept... Uh, that he called Arbutus, which is a, a type of wild plant, and then later changed the name to Bailiwick, which was much more punnily appropriate. Can you explain um, that pun? Not all of us uh, know the old English word for if, <laughs> farm. If you So there's a phrase, it's in my Bailiwick, uh, which means it's in my realm of kind of control and mastery, and the Bailiwick used to be sort of like the territory over which, like, a bailiff was responsible. That's Mm. my understanding, sort of. And so, you know, Bailey's farm was sort of his place of control or whatever, um, to a certain extent. It was his archive? It was his sort of, like, living archive. So he has this... In in this, like, basement archive, which most archives are also in, like, lightless basements. (laughs) Um, That's another part of the the sort of, like, lived experience. The aesthetic of the archive, yeah. Yep. Fluorescent, anyway. Um, so uh, there's these series of journals, like a kind of narrative ju- uh, daily journal, a planting journal, and an accounts journal about spending money um, that Bailey kept about this farm that he managed for a number of years while being a professor at Cornell and everything else. So every time he would go up there, he'd make an entry about what he did. Um, and that's both like sort of the labor that he engaged with, uh, the relationships, the conversations. Um, you know, it's really an amazing collection. And as far as I know, nothing's been written about it. So um, I was interested in this. And there's a small portion of the farm which fronted onto Cayuga Lake, which is this beautiful finger lake um, north of Ithaca. 
and uh, and it was a sort of a long rectangle that extended out from the lake. But the front part facing the lake, he donated late in his life to Anna Botsford Comstock, major nature study advocate and colleague of his at Cornell, to be used as part of a Girl Scout camp. Um, and that camp is still in operation today, so the property is still preserved and being used as such. And there's a stone cottage. Uh, that's like kind of iconic to the very small Bailey community of which I'm a part um, <laughs> that uh, I had there's a sign on the highway pointing to it so I had pulled over and like walked up to it before and sort of admired it um, and then walked away feeling awkward because they use it for things you know and people stay there in the summers um, as part of the camp um, well this summer because I was there for so long and just sort of letting things happen and relationships build and things like that and sending out you know emails to random people. I sent an email to the Girl Scout camp and said, hey, I'm researching Bailey, I'm interested in this property, is there any way that I could like have a tour of it sometime or meet somebody and walk around? And it turns out that the um, park ranger, this guy named John Pratt, happens to be really interested in history. He was excited to be able to show someone around, so I met with him after the Girl Scout summer camp season was over, and we walked around the whole camp property and with um, an Anna Botsford Comstock scholar who I'd gotten to know, so we had a lot of good conversations walking around. But John Pratt, you know, when we got there, said, oh, and we'll also show you the remnant of the old uh, fruit orchard that Bailey had that's on the property. And, you know, our jaws just dropped because we were like, what? I didn't know that I didn't know that, that existed. Um, on the other side of a ravine from where the stone cottage is, there's this open lawn, and around the lawn is a ring of fruit trees, including pear and apple trees, that were planted and grafted by the father of modern horticulture, you know, which is one of Bailey's many monikers. Um, and so I just got to go up and, you know, put my hands on the trunks of these trees of this person who I've been studying for, you know, number of years now. And you said they were um, still bearing fruit, too. Still bearing fruit. Apples and pears just growing on these things beautiful and like the guy John well yeah but when they're that old fruit trees don't always keep bearing fruit and some of them weren't but over half of them were and there's you know like seven or eight trees and and John Pratt was saying yeah some of these were barren but I started pruning them and they've the fruit has come back and so like each tree there's one that there's a clear division um about like chest height where the bark changes pattern and color and he said he had a tree guy look at it and say yeah the base of this is an apple stock that then had a pear tree grafted onto it and it's still bearing pears and that's Bailey's hand you know he was he grew up in my hometown and was like the local apple grafter and farmers would hire him as a kid to come to their farm and climb up their trees and you know graft different fruits and he was like an expert of that and he wanted that experience in his adult life he writes about it in this journal and all of a sudden I'm seeing it and that tree is sort of um, like Chad you were saying this before we started recording it's sort of a living archive in and of itself and there's information in that tree and it's not in a way it's also a curated archive because it's been preserved by this Girl Scout camp for very particular reasons and right next to this field is an old house that um, John didn't seem to know much of the history of. Um, but in Bailey's journals, he talks about the stone cottage and the farm, the, the stone house and the farmhouse. 
because there was a farmhouse there before he bought the property. And it's possible that this building is that house and that, you know, all of a sudden you've got two historic homes on this property that have been preserved. And that house had been used just as the ranger's house for many years, and now they've got a new one because that one's structurally unsound. But so you've got that being preserved and sort of kept up in a certain way and added on to as needed to be a home for a family. And then the stone cottage that's being kept in operation as a place to house, you know, I don't know, um, Girl Scout troop leaders or something. Uh, And there are these new layers of history now that are also kind of embedded onto the property and the years that the trees have been alive and what they've been through and were, are there trees that are missing? Was Were these just lining a backyard of that house at the time? I don't know. But all of a sudden, you're doing archival research in kind of the opposite of the of the iconic archival space that we've been talking about. Um, and you see how that like boundary between inside and outside sort of starts to erupt and break down or to only be visible to certain people (laughs) entirely at all you know so um and i mean it doesn't seem like anyone else at this camp necessarily thinks about it historically but for whatever reason this park ranger is very interested in that Mm. and it turns out this park ranger is a descendant of the same family that uh anna botsford comstock was in so he actually has like he came to this park as a job um this camp as a as as a job, but he also is a descendant of the Anabasford Comstock for whom Camp Comstock is named, mm. and therefore has this historical interest and has been reading up on them and on Bailey. And um, when we started talking, we were two researchers, you know, talking to each other um, about an archive that he has helped to preserve and cultivate. As a pun. John, I have to ask you a question that I didn't ask you before because I feel like everyone wants to know the question, the answer to this question. Did you eat one of the pears or apples? No, I didn't want to pick those. I should have done that. I should have. Well, yeah. They weren't ripe. They weren't really ripe. Uh, okay. That's but John Pratt said that every each year he has made an apple pie with Bailey apples. Oh wow. Which I'm very jealous. You of. were saying if if anyone knows about like apple and pear varieties, like we don't have a lot of the historic varieties that people yeah, used to eat true. all the time, and there yeah. used to be like eating apples and cider apples, the way that they're like table grapes and Dessert wine grapes. Apples. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, actually, like a horticulturist might go there and like see an entirely different archive, like oh, an yeah. archive of, of apple and pear varieties that are now m- almost extinct or difficult yeah. to come by. So, although there are definitely people who are like into bringing that, trying to preserve those and, and bring them back. Yeah. There are definitely archivists of of apple varieties. And in in Bailey's yeah. planting journals, you see notes where he says that he took graftings from his father's orchard in South Haven, Michigan, and Mm. grafted them onto trees in Ithaca, and so he was sort of doing this historical curation about his own family, and who knows, there could be a fruit tree from the old Bailiwick orchard that actually is from the old South Haven orchard that his father kept in Michigan, um, that you could potentially take a, n- a new grafting from today and start a new tree. Yeah. This would be um, like digitization or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. Um, anyways, I think 
Maybe apples are a good place to end. Yeah. Yeah. Apples. Now I want to. Now I want to go eat an apple. So <laughs> yeah. The end. The electric text was created by our cohort, Anna Moser, Beranger Ryu, Chad Hegelmeyer, David Sugarman, Owen Quinn, Gina Dominic, Kimberly Adams, Ruby Lowe, Penelope Myers, and Vignesh Sridharan. This episode includes the voices of John Lindstrom, Chad Hegelmeyer, that's me, and Kimberly Adams. Kim Adams edited this episode and runs our website. Our theme music is composed by Owen Quinn. The electric text is supported by the English department at NYU. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website, electrictext.net. That's electrictext, all one word, dot net. You can also reach us by email at electrictext at gmail.com. That's electric text spelled with two X's, E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-T-E-X-X-T at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. Gosh, books really are amazing. Well, that's all for now. We'll catch you next time on the NYU.